Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, it's the one, the only, Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss, so let's waste no more time. You know the drill by now. If you're new to the show, hit us up on our social media with the hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation because, man, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment. And let's kick off the show by talking about one of my favorite shows that is having its season finale this Thursday as we record. It is Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know I love the show, and I haven't been diving into it so much. I've been kind of mentioning it in one shots, but the second to last episode, however you want to define it, holy smokes! Okay, you want to talk about getting me amped up for a season finale? This did it. Not that I needed more motivation prior, but this really kicks in. We are talking spoilers, so if you're not familiar. Binge watch, free form, however you can get a hold of it. Catch up, because I'm going to start breaking in the spoilers in 3, 2, 1, let's go. So this episode and season has been really focusing on the villain known as Despair. Now, his Marvel Comics history is a little kind of murky as well. Not a really a household villain name, would you say, Pad? No, I wouldn't say so. Right. But they have done an excellent job establishing this character, and especially for Cloak and Dagger, who really don't have a well-known rogues gallery, if you no, will. No, no. but Brooklyn Micklin has been doing this, and he has been making this character into something that really you could think it was a throwaway character, so to speak, at yeah. the beginning, but he has really emphasized just how making him such a tra- tragic portrayal and just you don't sympathize, but you can get where his convictions are coming from and just everything going on. I mean, Brooklyn has absolutely crushed it in this role. And I'll say it's kind of like you said in past episodes, like you said, they don't have the biggest or best rogues, rogues gallery because more often, I think if you were to like sit down on a sheet of paper and then like put two columns, like their own line and then lines they've appeared in, they've appeared in more other more uh, superheroes, other lines than their actual own. Right. They've been very closely associated since they debuted in the Spider-Man universe, so to speak. You know, the sub-universe of the Marvel Universe. Because once you kind of break off in your spinoff character from a, from a larger hero, you kind of have the same rogues gallery to kind of start off with. Yeah. So this is no exception, per se, because Despair has been kind of mixed in with the Marvel's superheroes. And, you know, I've seen a couple of times he's faced Spider-Man and such. But to see his portrayal as focused with Cloak and Dagger has been really something to see. And this was the origin of despair and where we see is and they i love how they time stamp this too because they go 96 months prior okay so you have an established time frame of what's going on let's say they've been watching other shows and know hey people don't like it when we just time jump and don't give any frame reference game of thrones <clears throat> excuse me uh walking dead as well yes this one nailed it right on the head 96 months prior they show the character of andre who is despair who's, who's playing in a jazz band and he's really focused on hitting the blue note and it's this He's trying to describe just the effect it has on the crowd and how mm-hmm. it mesmerizes. And you just really get into it. He needs to hit this note. Like, yeah. as just a performer, and if you know anybody that's in music, it's always a focus if they can hit some certain notes, mm-hmm. some certain key. Yeah. They know they've hit it, and they know they got that connection with the crowd. And as he's going to play, he's trying to hit that note, and he collapses on stage. And you kind of find out that he's having issues with migraines. He's kind of having some health issues. That this is really what's causing... You, down the road, you find out that this is what is the major factor, that he can't do what he loves, and that's play music, and he's really struggling with this. And at this point, too, they're doing a little time jumps, but they don't go today and really kind of establish that. But you obviously know when you see Cloak and Dagger appear on, s- on the screen then you know that you're in the current time frame. And at this point, they have gone through eight prior episodes where their lives have been turned into a living nightmare because of this character. So they're making the plan to take him down once and for all. And I love how this is not this is just developed organically. This hasn't been just, okay, we know the bad guy and, and this, we have our typical fight. No, this has been 
you're really seeing the questions of the characters in this in this episode and in this series entirely too. And I know I sing the praises of Olivia Holt, and she has absolutely been killing it this season. Aubrey Joseph has really sunk his teeth into this material too. And this was arguably one of his strongest episodes because where they go with this is they really have to kind of make, uh, dare I say, uncomfortable allies mm-hmm. with certain characters on the show that they really are kind of at their wits end that they really need to make a point that they have to take a stance against despair. And they, and at this state, this, this, eh, at this point too, man, I'm so amped up I can't even talk. At this point too, Tandy's mom is under despair's control too and she's gone. And at this point, they have to make the choice, okay, we really have to go and really step outside the comfort zone and do some stuff that maybe is kind of against where our characters have been. But this isn't like a forced character switch. It's just you really sense the the, the gravity of the situation. And at this point, too, you're seeing that Tandy is teaming up with Mayhem, who Emma Lahana has you know been a stellar, stellar surprise this season and just where she's been playing the dual roles of Bridget and Mayhem. And now where they are merged on the show, this is something very interesting to see play forward. And as we go into this, they're teaming up to find Lila, who they find on the side of the road as they're looking for Andre. And obviously it's that hummingbird note, the blue note, the one mm-hmm. that he's been emphasizing is, you know, the magical note that, you know, kind of eases his pain and, and can help, you know, m- control others. And obviously that she's just kind of focused on that. And at this point, Mayhem and Tandy take Lila who, so away so the spare doesn't know where she is. We jump back to 92 months, and you see Andre leave his trumpet in the street, and he's holding his head, and he's in a lot of pain, and he starts heading towards a bridge like he's going to jump and kill himself. Well, as he's standing on said bridge, what do we see but the Roxanne oil tanker? Oh, boy. That has caused the powers of cloak, the powers of dagger, everything that has really made this show the characters who they are. And as you see, at this point, when the explosion happens, he slips and falls into the water. So when he has nothing left to go, he then hits the water, and then he wakes up in the hospital. And at this point, too, there is some time jumping again where Ty is calling his mom, and he's following Solomon, who you saw was associated with the Uptown Kings, and he's really saying, okay, I need to go find despair at all costs. I'm willing to work with my enemies. And at this point, it's kind of like a moral you know, struggle for uh, Cloak. But he's handling this so well. And like I said, Aubrey Joseph really had such a strong episode. But here is something that really caught me and made me go, okay, did you know what newspaper they were reading and who was mentioned in the article? Daily Bugle and Peter Parker? Close. Oh, okay. There was an article about Luke Cage. Hello. Written by one Karen Page. Ooh, okay. Everybody got name dropped, and they were referencing Luke Cage a lot. Now, I know my first instinct was like, okay, is this foreshadowing something? And I know the deal with Netflix, yeah. and we're going to be waiting a while. Yeah, we're, they can't use the characters. There's nothing that says they can't mention them. Right. And at this point, I kind of had a little like, okay, we've tied in Misty Knight last season. We're tying in Luke Cage this season. Is it possible, and I'm just throwing the karma out there, maybe, just maybe, something can get worked out down the road for a Luke Cage appearance on Cloak and Dagger. Which, if that happens, uh, I apologize for me marking out on Twitter because that's going to happen pretty much the entire episode. But regardless, at this point, Ty is trying to establish a meeting with the Uptown Kings and just really... You see him having that moral struggle that he's trying to be the one to save the city, but he's got to work with his enemies to do it. And at this point, just seeing how this is interacting, Pad, is just when you kind of were jumping into the season, and what you've seen with Cloak and Dagger too, have you really kind of seen that moral struggle with them, per se? Yeah, maybe a little bit to a certain degree. Right. But you haven't really seen it to this level. that they're I mean, they're almost at their rock bottom where they have to go work with their enemies. And at this point, too, they do another jump back, and this is when you see Andre fall into the water, and he wakes up, and Lila is the nurse on duty, and this is where he's first using his powers. And this is kind of where we see, where there, where I think is such a cool take, and you know I've spoken about how I love the soundtrack on the show and just how much music is such a part of the show. 
is when Despair is using his powers, he's entering a record store, which I which I think is just a unique take on doing the whole mind control. And you can see that he's looking at the bins that say reissues, and he's looking at just how everybody is just, he accesses the memories, and he's just playing music, and, the, and just the song is kind of encompassing them. And I think it's just, a, it's just a, such a cool take on that. And at this point, too, you see that Tandy is trying to enter Lila's mind, and it's just all static. And then when they start going into the memories, you see that Andre has forced Lila to quit the hospital to get her music back. And you just start seeing the memory of when they started being the head people responsible for the domestic counseling group. That t- that's where Tandy and company were at the beginning of the season. So it kind of all ties in tenfold. And just how it plays off that this is how he's just manipulating the situation and has been from the get-go, which I mean is, I would say it's kind of a small or a slow burn, but it, it hits so hard when it does. But at this point, this is when Andre catches the team inside Lila, and he just basically says his whole plan that he wants to absorb so much pain to heal his headaches to be essentially become a god. And at this point, too, the team knows they can't do anything to stop him. And then this is when the episode gets all crazy because at this stage you have all the different personalities the combustible components in the sequence and they're all meeting what do you think is going to happen pat powder keg meat match right because at this point mayhem is controlling bridget and she's the dominant personality and she says well lila can't help us let's kill her and how do you Uh, think tandy reacts to this not well tandy says no we're not doing this and at this point, they start having a crazy knockdown, drag out battle. Like I'm just picturing this in my head, and I, and I can't help but think of the one meme from The Office where you've got the three characters. And I apologize, I haven't seen The Office, but I've seen the meme where you've got the three characters standing in a room, pointing their little finger finger guns at each other, and like they're you know point one and two point two hands at one person, and then switch back and back and forth. I'm like picturing it as that. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of wild to see as this, and then they're just going at it. I mean, they're full tilt just in a fight scene, which is awesome. I mean, it really just kind of says at this point, Dagger is willing to defend, and she knows she's in over her head because Mayhem has been such a strong force. But then we flip to Ty, who now has his meeting with the heads of the gangs, and what does he do when they start giving him some lip? He shoves a gangbanger off the roof. And he catches him before he hits the ground in the cloak and teleportates him back up. That's how they're going to make somebody shoot you or run away in terror. Right. This was sort of, to easily describe it to the comics, this is when Night Thrasher had Nova off the ledge to reenact his powers and threw him off. Except, in this case, if he could teleport, he would have brought him back to the building. But regardless, this is when Ty is really stepping up and you can just see the change in demeanor that he basically puts the law down and this is kind of like how when Luke Cage takes over Harlem at the end of season two, mm-hmm. almost the same kind of vibe hmm. that Ty says, this is the situation. And he lays down his law to everyone that he has in that attendance to spread the word that he is now taking over. And this is how things are going to happen. And he, and I mean, this was, like I said, this had to be one of Aubrey Joseph's strongest episodes. And you just see how he handles the situation. And he basically says, sends him on the way and says, the APB is out for Andre. If anybody finds despair, I want to know, and I want to know now. And then they flip back to the fight between Tandy and Mayhem, and they nearly kill each other until Mayhem just kind of falls back and says, fine, she's saved. Do it yourself. I'm out of here. And at this point, they Cloak and Dagger now track down uh, despair. At, uh, at where they think he's at a jazz club and they're in full tilt that they were going like we're going to have to cross a line to end this this fate of the city there is no turning back we need to make sure we pull this and at this point you hear Andre playing the trumpet and then symbol starts to light up and they've been kind of dealing with the different kind of voodoo aspects of the show so to speak and you see like a symbol light up and something's going on and then they track him to his original club where they started at the beginning of the season and you see his victims of who's under his mind control, and you see Tandy's mom. Oh, boy. And at this point, it's almost like a Pied Piper sequence for the Blue Note. But they do one of the coolest action shots they've done on the show, and bravo to the fight choreographers and whoever came up with this idea of Cloak and Dagger's writers team did. Tandy throws a knife at Cloak. He teleports it through himself so it shoots out on stage. Oh, that's awesome. And hits Andre. 
despair. And then everybody disappears. And then slowly you see that everything just fades away and everybody disappears. And like, what is going on? Nobody has any idea what's happening. And then they flash back to the record story sequence where that is despair's domain. And he walks through the doors. And then all of a sudden you just hear the blue note fill the sky. And at this point, the city appears to be lost. With one episode left, what do you think is going to hit the fan here, Pad? Everything. Absolutely. I Wow, I apologize I'm yelling into the mic. I am that amped up about this. Cloak and Dagger has been the surprise. I would say arguably that in Doom Patrol has been the early surprise of 2019 for how good it's been. And we all knew Cloak and Dagger had an amazing first season and definitely flew under some radars. But to see how they've been handling such subjects as human trafficking and domestic violence and tying it in with the superhero world that they live in in the MCU, and they've been pulling it off with such strong performances from everybody on the show, it has just been phenomenal to see how this is going to end because Despair, like we said, has never been a well-known villain. You don't exactly refer to him like Dr. Doom or Magneto or anybody else from the Marvel Universe. So to see how Brooklyn Micklin has been playing him has been just lights out. And like I said, Emma Lahana and Aubrey Joseph and Olivia Holt and everybody else on the show has been doing such strong character work. I can't emphasize this enough. You need to catch the season finale this week. Now, if you're not watching live because you have stuff going on, sure, catch it on Freeform On Demand or however you catch shows. Because when you have a show that's doing this much quality work and flying under the radar to for a lot of fans, because let's face it, they don't have the Netflix universe tie-in, so to speak. They're not part of the movie universe in that degree, but everybody's connected. Cloak and Dagger has really stepped up their game when it comes to subject matter, to the writing, to the acting, to the soundtrack. It has been everything that you want to see with the show. And they're also on a network that I would say, by and large, you know, unless you're the the right demographic that Freeform typically goes for, you know, which is the younger, the teenage, you know, audience. It might be one that when you're scrolling through, you just kind of glance over and you don't pay it any attention other than, you know, a weekend when they're running a Disney animated movie marathon. Right. That this has been such a refreshing case to see. And like I say, I applaud Freeform for taking the shot and letting the characters go in that direction. Because like I said, the subject material is very serious. And they've handled it very delicately and respectfully too. But to see how they're tying this in, like you said, you don't think to find this on Freeform. I would never have guessed that they would pull this off. But they're doing it and they're crushing it. And it's been such a strong buildup and taking a villain, like I said, Despair, who wasn't even on the radar mm-hmm. to begin with. And how they're flipping it, where like I said, his powers are very unique in how they're doing it. I mean, sure, they could have just done boring mind control, but to see how they're flipping it for the emotional reason. And so he eases his pain. He's just going to control everything and then drown out his sorrow with everybody else's. Like, it's such a wild take, but it works. And it works very, very well. I can't say enough great things about this. I know I haven't been really diving in too much. I know I was supposed to post it on the Parlay Points blog with the Big Bang Theory, but honestly, after watching that show last week, I can't even get into it. I had to open the show with it. But let me know what you think. The season finale is this Thursday. If you've been watching Cloak and Dagger, hit us up. Let us know what you think of it. If you're going to binge watch it, definitely hit us up after. But I'm telling you this. Don't miss the chance to catch the season finale of Cloak and Dagger. Hashtag Renew Cloak and Dagger. Salute to everybody on the show. You guys have been doing some great work. It definitely deserves to be watched, so make sure you do. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Cowman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast and we talked a little cloak and dagger last segment we're gonna flip it to another side of the MCU with agents of shield and we're gonna get weird 
Yeah, let's get weird. Not Legion weird, but not, weird. Not Legion weird. Not Happy Weird, which is having their season finale on Wednesday on Sci-Fi, might I add. No, this got very, very trippy in a very unexpected way. I'd see what you did there. It was in the title. Yes, I did. So we're going to talk some spoilers in three, two, one. Pat, what did you think of the episode? It was weird, but in a good way. Like, I enjoyed it. It, it was kind of like a, it was a fun adventure. It definitely was. I It, it was very lighthearted in tone, yeah. which is kind of a unique break because this one just focused on everybody that's in space right now. Mm-hmm. So you had Fitz and Enoch. You had Team Quake, shall we say, which is yeah. Quake, Simmons, and and their team that's searching for Fitz. You did really no Coulson slash Sarge. You didn't have any. Not until ma- like the very end. Not till the very end. You really were dealing with what's going on in space and just the planets they're kind of dealing with. Nero, Atiza, and Kitson, which they wind up going on. And you open with a show and somebody uh, who is just assumed as a hunter is looking for fits. Mm-hmm. And basically now has a bounty on his head. Nobody really kind of knows why. And they wind up on the planet of Kitson. And with the bounty on their head, Fitz saved the engineers on their ship prior. And what do they do in return? They rob Fitz, mm-hmm. which you expect, I guess, with space pirates. They're pirates. And, yeah, it was to be expected. So as they're kind of going with this motif, I mean, Fitz is, tr- they give him a casino coin because they're saying, hey, we're not so bad, guys. We appreciate you saving us. We're going to do something for you. Here's a coin. Yeah. Test your luck because reasons. Well, say Fitz's reaction to this whole thing is, you know, essentially, this won't buy me a pot to piss in. Yeah. I was just waiting for him to go, like, please put me back under. Just. Yeah. I was waiting for that. He definitely had the tone and, like, you could definitely read his kind of mannerisms as, like, I am so done with this. I am just over this. Like, everything wrong is going wrong. Yeah. This is just such a unique phase to do for Fitz because he is so used to being the smartest one in the room and just. Not saying he has everything figured out, but he has a good sense of what's going on. And this is like, I am completely out of my element. So he's also used to situations where he's able to like, okay, he might not be able to fix it immediately, but like he can problem solve his way through and, you know, scientific method his way through and get the results he needs. But he is completely, you know, in a fish out of water because he's in a different part of the universe where none of the rules he's used to apply. Right. Where it's it's entire beings and, and races and rules and customs that he has no idea. No, he's completely fish out of water here. And as he's going into the casino, this is where the rest of Team Quake, I'll just refer to them as, yeah, show up. Yeah. And at this point, the hunter that was open in at the beginning of the show finds them mm-hmm. and shoots quake, which I was like, okay, business is now picking up. Yeah. And while he's dealing with team quake, he does mention that Fitz is to be blamed for quote unquote universe tampering, mm-hmm. which I was really kind of questioning. Okay. What's going on in here? Is he part of some time council? Or are we having like a legends of tomorrow moment? My guess is it, it has something to do with, you know, when, when, the agents shield, you know, Colson and crew went forward into time. The he, by Fitz going forward and freezing himself, he changed the the what should have been or what should have happened. Right, which makes sense, but it's also kind of going, hmm, all right, who is this mysterious character now that's hunting Fitz and, and to mm-hmm. try fixing the timeline? So obviously time travel, it's going to get weird, so we expect it. It's going to get confusing. And we're getting ready for that because I'm expecting that to get drug out for a while this season. I'm not saying that a bad thing. I'm just saying it's going to happen. And obviously on this planet that Hunter, the Hunter knows Fitz died and he knows that Fitz is on the planet, he's searching for them. And then we finally see Fitz and Enoch in the casino where – wacky hijinks ensue well so they 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 don't make the first going to the casino isn't really their first choice they come up with they need that they know they need to make more money and they get told listen you can go one of two places you can go to the casinos or you can go to the brothels and and fitz's eye goes i am not going to the brothels we are not doing that because enoch tries convincing them like listen it's a little out unconventional, but we're both good-looking specimens. We're relatively young. We can, and he just stops him right there. No, no, we are not doing this. Right, and Enoch is "quote unquote" best friend, and I, yeah. I, I love how they're referring to that. It was just they had so much comedic timing with each other. 
it was just so spot on. And Enoch was saying, oh, yes, I'm trying to figure that out. Oh, I can figure out this casino game. He reminded me very much of uh, Data from Star Trek The Next yeah. Generation very early on. Yeah, yeah I agree. Very, I, very robotic, very precise, very clipped in his sentences, but is still trying to learn about real organisms right because at this point the only thing we've really seen that enoch has picked up on this alien planet is to not eat some odd shaped candy it looked like mm-hmm. that was offered to him by the pirates that robbed him earlier no enoch knew that that was not meant for Terrians, and he advised them not to but then we fast forward to when team quake shows up on fitz's old ship and runs mm-hmm. into said people yeah oh they just decided to dive into whatever they were supposed to be eating yeah which... so they're they're starving for food they're starving for everything and davis i believe is the character's name sees the guy holding uh these candy looking things and goes oh my god food give it to me and he scarfs down i think they said at one point he scarfed down like six of them mm-hmm. or something like that and then they and uh fitz and quake eat eat one or uh, Simmons, excuse me, and Quakey one or two apiece, and it was just like, oh, okay, well, we'll see where this goes. Right. So then, obviously, they fast forward to where Enoch is playing at the casino games, and he gets taken at the casino. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody completely sets him up, and I mean, it's just completely the gullible fish out of water element that happens at a casino where somebody is just completely taken for a ride by somebody working the tables. Especially you have a robotic being who, let's be honest, he should have thrown a few games just to kind of like, I'm like, all right, if you're winning, you know, however many hands in a row, you're winning that consistently, somebody's going to be a little suspicious of you. Like, hey, how's this guy winning so much? I'm like, hey, throw a hand or two. You're doing good. Right, and that was the thing. He can't really help out at that situation. Fitz is watching this, and he just watches everything go up in smoke. Uh Uh-huh. So, obviously, the whole brothel idea came about, which I love how Simmons later said, oh, there's no chance Fitz is in that brothel. I will tell you that right now. (laughs) But we jump back to where Enoch says, well, I have an idea. And he winds up putting Fitz up as human collateral. Well, and it's funny. He poses this idea to him. He goes, oh, well, this, I forget how he posed it to him, but he was like, he told him how much money it would uh, net them if he won. And Fitz goes, why didn't you present this to me at the outset? And he goes... Because if you're lo- you lose, you're sold into slavery. Yeah. And he's like, oh. Well, wait, wait, what? And at this point, he, he sees that he's wound up at a table, mm-hmm. and the person next to him is killed because yeah. uh, he loses. He loses. So at this point, Fitz is going, well, this is all going downhill. And at, this, at the same time, Team Quake shows up at the casino. And at this point, they are tripping out yeah. of their minds. Yeah. Fear and loathing in in Kitson. That's mm-hmm. the easiest way I could describe it. Yeah. Because you see Quake and Simmons are just out of their minds. Like, they completely forget why they're there, which for Simmons is really saying something because she jeopardized the entire mission and the livelihoods of the rest of the crew for this mission. And she's now sitting in a casi- at a casino bar with Quake tripping out of her mind and they think it's girls night and they're making the most noise i've ever seen yeah this was a cool thing to see because usually i don't see F- simmons's guard let down like no this. very rarely no. and with quake and the interaction too i mean there were so many harry potter references well and i like the callbacks to season one where where simmons brings up how they found her and they go oh they found her in the van remember we found you in the van oh yeah we found you in the van oh that van smelled did yeah. it no it didn't yeah no it did yeah, it was just such a cool throwback line that was like, okay, I, I can kind of get down with this. And then you just see just the more wacky hijinks is happening. And at this point, too, when the team had captured said hunter at the beginning, mm-hmm. he winds up escaping. Well, like, so he, he, like, disconnects a joint or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he, like, contorts his wrist or something. Yeah, like, get he, out like of there. he pops his wrist out of place and, like, slips out of there or something wild. Yeah, at this point, so he's now on the loose and looking for fits, too. I mean, it was almost like a throwaway scene, so mm-hmm. if you blinked, you missed it. Because after the t- they wind up subduing him in the beginning, it's like, okay, well, who's watching him? Well, yeah, so you got and you got Davis and the other girl on Team Quake on the ship. Piper, and I think. Piper, and, and you know, the, the bounty hunter, for lack of a better term, slips out of his handcuffs, and he's standing there, and Davis, who we know from what uh, fits, from what Simmons and Quake told us, has taken, like, six of these hallucinogens is standing there and he's just got the the bug-eyed look of oh no and then he's like trying to hunt him on the ship while he's tripping yeah and just destined to fail there and then they flash back to where enoch is trying to help fitz win his game and all of a sudden he short circuits yeah well in all the meanwhile he's helping him to finish his game because it's a complete game of chance it kind of reminded it reminded me a little bit of blackjack 
I was going to say blackjack or baccarat. Yeah, but yeah, it reminded me of one of those. Uh, and and so he goes, "Oh, how am I going to win?" And he goes, "Well, I'm, you know, he asks uh, Enoch, why can't you play?'" He's like, "Listen, I'm going to be sitting here essentially counting cards, and I'm going to utter a, a pitch or a tone so high in frequency that only humans can hear it. One tone will mean hit, two will mean stay." And he's hitting it, hit, and he's going through, going through, going through. And at one point, it's like you know the dealer's getting a little pissed off, like, "Yo, you got to make a decision right now, or you're gonna be, you're gonna lose." And at this point too, it kind of seems like his cover was blown, like yeah. already prior to, because then once Enoch shuts down, essentially, which happened literally out of nowhere. Well, no, didn't the wasn't it the uh, result of the bounty hunter? Well, that's what it turned out to be at okay. the end. But okay. at the time, they didn't know. At the time, they were kind of just say, It was weird in the moment because like, he's just standing there, and it's like his eyes are going back and forth like he's trying to calculate, and he's bugging out. And I'm like, what's going on? Right. and Because it turns out to be the bounty hunter arrives in the casino, and he's looking for him. So he knows, obviously, with Enoch is with Fitz because he knows a lot more that's going on that he yeah well and I don't think deal. he was at the casino I think he was on the ship at one of their computer terminals messing with things because then Piper and Davis show up and, and and Davis tries to shoot at him and misses hilariously and right. ends up destroying the computer terminal which then stops uh Enoch from freaking out very valid point too I mean that point got a little confusing for me so yeah. I, I I think you're right because they kept flashing forward to a tripped out Quake having a fight scene using oh. her powers. All the meanwhile, before this, Quake and and Simmons are underneath the table having a real heart to heart moment about why Quake has not had much success in love. Yeah, which was very inter- interesting to see. Yeah, I would say I, I definitely liked the episode for that. I mean, just the comedic timing and and just like the rare heart to heart moments that this team has because they've mm-hmm. gone through so much. Yeah, you, you haven't really seen that kind of bonding in a while. No. So to see that really happen, and obviously, yeah, just Quake and, and Simmons kind of having that heart-to-heart about feelings, definitely interesting to see. So we'll have to kind of see what ramifications from that happen. But at this point, too, this is when Simmons decides she's making the final run to see Fitz, has an idea where he is, makes the run, they see each other, and then what happens, Pad? Everyone's uh, least favorite bounty hunter in this universe, in this you know, story uh, shows up, shows up, does the teleportation disc that Sarge has been showing that mm-hmm. they're doing and takes uh, fits away right from Simmons. Oh, talk about ripping my heart out. Yeah. Which you kind of had a feeling was going to happen because things were just working out too. Right. Well, too good. It was too good. And I was like, oh, this is a turn. Like normally they don't give us this happy reunion until much later in the storyline. Maybe they're switching things up on us. And there she goes. Right. And at this point, they end the episode, and then we get her bonus scene with Sarge and Jacko shooting a weapon into the sky, and it looks like it's shooting for a map mm-hmm. of some sort. And they get a location, and then who do we see return but Deke? Yeah. The grandson of Simmons and Fitz? Grandson, great-grandson. He's in that lineage. Yeah. And so now that builds up for his return next episode, and there's just so much going on. I mean, overall, it was definitely a lighthearted episode, yeah. a little break. A little not to be expected, but it definitely did its magic. Mm-hmm. And then we found out a little more news coming out about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, so there's going to be a couple surprise guest appearances, not really surprise guest appearances, but some interesting guest appearances. You're going to have Anthony Michael Hall play uh, the casino kingpin, of course, the casino where Enoch and, and Fitz have been running around for. And then you're also going to have Sherry Som uh, portray, uh, show up on the uh, show, I believe it's next week. Yes, I think so, too. And her character, we're still getting a little information about. Yeah, they're, they're being kind of secretive about it. There's just kind of photos posted of, hey, she's going to be on the show. Right. So we'll kind of have to wait and see. Could go a lot of different ways. I think the show is definitely throwing enough curveballs that they're staying in space for a while. It's going to be very interesting because, like we said, this is on a short season mm-hmm. run for yeah. this season. Yeah. So, final thoughts on the episode pad. A little different, a little change of pace, but, you know, they've been going so hard and, and so long in the dark and gritty and, and action for so long. It was nice to kind of take a step back and have a little more lighthearted approach. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it took a little while to see because, I mean, it was just so unexpected to see all the comedy yeah. on the show. Because, I mean, they do have their moments here and there. Yeah, yeah. And a couple one-liners and such. But to see more of a lighthearted episode, especially with Quake and Simmons having their moments, mm-hmm. and you really kind of see the, how their friendship is, you know, finally brought out in the open, so to speak, that you really haven't seen that interaction before. Right. I mean, we've seen them have conversations back and forth, but from what we've seen on screen, they really have never had this heart to heart together. Right. So it was definitely a refreshing to take to see and to see where this goes from here. I mean, is anybody's guess. Yeah. 
But definitely let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on this past Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number three on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And let's talk some Godzilla, shall mm-hmm. we? Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is kicking in the door on movie theaters this weekend. Yeah. Super, super excited about this. Oh, so am I. I mean, just to see King or Godzilla and King Kong and the MonsterVerse come back to the big screen. Because that's truly where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. You need to see it in a, in a movie theater. You can't really... Yeah. Watch it on TV is cool and all, but see it in a, in like an IMAX theater or something like that, just mind-blowing. I can vouch for that. The first uh, movie, like actual Hollywood movie I saw in IMAX, I've seen, you know, kind of the, the uh, tourist the IMAX movies type of thing when you go places. But this was my true first Hollywood... Godzilla, the Bryan Cranston one, uh, was my first... Hollywood movie IMAX experience and my mind and, and body was it, it was just a, it was an experience because that first scene in the movie where Godzilla really gave you his its roar mm-hmm. my chair shook yeah when you're an experience in a movie like that and to that level it's just one of those definitely definition moments for it, you and it was one of those few times in my adult life I've been in a theater watching a movie and genuinely went holy shit yeah Oh, I could fully imagine just to see that. And especially like when you think about like IMAX theaters and mm-hmm. you really think about, you know, the 3D aspect. Yeah. To see like a monster movie, which I think they're just perfectly born for, mm-hmm. to really go to the theater and have that experience. I yeah. mean, that's when you go, this is why I go to the movies and this yeah. is why I go see it. Say, so if you have an opportunity to see this movie in IMAX, I seriously encourage you to go see it because if it's anything like the last Godzilla movie, which I saw in IMAX, it's going to be a once in a lifetime experience. I think it's going to be even better. Because as we dig into it now, this is technically the third mm-hmm. in the monster verse yeah. that has been born out of Kong Skull Island. Yep. Which had Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson in it. Yep. So if you're going chronologically, uh, Kong Skull Island is the first movie that takes place in this timeline because it took place back in like the 70s or something like that. That would then follow to uh, Godzilla, the first movie that really set off this whole monster verse and really got things kickstarted and then leads into this one here uh, releasing this week, uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. No idea how much time has passed, although I, you know, presumably some time has passed because if you go and watch the final trailer, uh, there's an interesting line in, line in it that, you know, they're having to deal with, you know, three monsters monsters you know uh Ghidorah Mothra and and I'm blanking on the third one Rodan uh, Rodan thank you and and you know oh how do we fight this and they and we have to set Godzilla free which is for me is an interesting line because if you remember the end of the last Godzilla movie which I know it's been a while some of you may not have seen it but the end of the last Godzilla movie featured Godzilla saving the day and, and kind of going off into the ocean and doing its own thing and then that was the last you'd seen of it Right, because, I mean, with the 2014 movie, which was kind of the reintroduction of Godzilla mm-hmm. to mainstream American audiences, yeah, this was kind of like we didn't really know what to expect because the last time we had it was the Matthew Broderick version. Yeah, from 1998. Yes, which is now on 4K. Yeah, so a funny side story. I was out shopping this past weekend, and I was over at Best Buy browsing their new movies, see what came in, and seeing if anything piqued my interest. And on the one side where they had the 4K movies that were just released, uh, the 1998 Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie it was just released in 4K. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely tying in at the right time. Yeah. Just to go over the lineage of Godzilla and just, I mean, how it, he's arguably one of the biggest well-known monsters in movie history. Yeah, I would say he's, you know, if you show any Godzilla image, most people will know who he is. Right. And just, I mean, over the course of history, just how CGI has developed mm-hmm. and just seeing where it began to where it is now and just... Yeah. just the dare I say cult like following yeah that follows very him. much so to see 
it, it obviously the the Broderick version, not one of our top favorites here on the panel no. by any means. No. But to see when the Brian Cranston version came back, I definitely liked the movie. Yeah. It was more of a surprise because we really wasn't sure what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But to see now how it's tying into the monster versus now set up because Kong, Skull Island, the bonus scene, yeah, it definitely introduced Monarch, which is the agency that's investigating these, you know, creatures. Yeah. We'll just put it out there like that. To kind of have that introduction, just seeing how everything's tying in, and now we fast forward from the 2014 film of Godzilla because Kong Skull Island was set, you know, in the 70s, I believe. Yeah. So to see where it is now is definitely something to see. And as we go into it, the trailers have looked just spot on, mm-hmm. even though I do find it very odd that they're playing somewhere over the rainbow. Oh yeah, that that version that version of somewhere over the rainbow they play in the last trailer is very very creepy, but in a good way. It, it, yeah, it's it's in a good sense, but it's just kind of like okay. Very kind of haunting a little bit, which which I do like, but it's just so different in, in its own, you know, aspect, so to speak. So to see where they go from there, we obviously see there's a lot of big fights going on. There's a lot of big action happening, which mm-hmm. I which you need to happen for Godzilla, because I think if there's one take away that I got from the 2014 film. It didn't have enough Godzilla. Well, I, and the review embargo has been lifted, so reviews are starting to hit the internet as we record. I haven't read any of the reviews like in depth, gone into them, but from the few reactions I've seen online on Twitter, that I know that was the uh, concern and a kind of a complaint a lot of people had. From what I've read from a few people that didn't really go into spoilers, they take you know the the, the amount of time Godzilla and the monsters were on screen and turn it to eleven. Right, and that's what they need to do. Because you want to go in there, if you're going to say King of the Monsters, and you are establishing a monster verse, you need to have big action sequences. It's almost one of those situations where you're not really going for the plot. You're going right. to see a Rock'em yeah. Sock'em yeah. fight with giant monsters. Mm-hmm. That's the selling point. Yeah. You really shouldn't be worried about too much of a script. But they do have one because, obviously, Monarch has been investigating the rise of these mm-hmm. you know, creatures coming back. And you see Mothra is introduced and Rodan and King Ghidorah, which is the three-headed monster that you see in photos. Yep. And just you know, how is humanity going to deal with it? Because it's not just you know Godzilla and then these three we mentioned. No, there's one point in the trailer where they're, they're, you can tell they're, there's somebody really trying to get a wrap, uh, their heads wrapped around it. Because I remember one of the earlier trailers, there was almost like a, a Senate hearings or government hearings they were having about the thing. So presumably it's going to take place there. But like they say, oh, how many monsters, how many of these things are there? 17 and counting. Yeah, that's not something you can rest on on your butt and go, I oh, will deal with it when it gets here. Right. This is something they have to deal with now. And obviously dealing with that, the humanity aspect of how the armed forces are going to deal with it just for the planet's safety mm-hmm. is really interesting because now it's, it's instead of humans fighting monsters, it's humans fighting monsters versus monsters. Yeah. And then how do you go from there? I mean, that's the, it's just the basic selling point. The plot doesn't need to really be that elaborate, per se, but they no. are tying it in very nicely. And whatever they're trying to do to establish this universe is going to be something to see because we really don't know too much about the characters, per se. We I mean, we have Millie Bobby Brown, who's from Stranger Things, is now in this, and yep. she's playing a very big role in it. But we really don't know what her role is, per se. Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights is in it, mm-hmm. and we have an idea what's going on with them. So you've also got Bradley Whitford, of course, who was uh, played Josh in The West Wing, is going to be there. Uh, Ken Watanabe is making a return appearance as Dr. Ishiro Surizawa, Sur- uh, who, of course, was in the last Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. So to just kind of see where they're going with this pad, I guess, what is your expectations for this film? Uh, I'm My expectations for this film is given the fact that it's three monsters and Godzilla, it's going to get all in just based off of the trailers where I, I believe it was like the first teaser trailer. You had the shot of like, uh, I believe it was Washington, D.C. And like there were hurricanes and tornadoes and the sky was on fire and lightning. Like I'm expecting things to get real crazy and just like more moments like from the first Godzilla movie where he first used his atomic breath and the, and the entire theater went nuts. I'm expecting a lot more moments like that. I agree. I mean, my basic expectation with this is I want to be entertained. And I definitely think if you're going to go to the movies and you think some are blockbusters, we've had the Avengers, which has been mm-hmm. amazing. And I mean, how many times have you seen Endgame by now? To see kind of a little break in the action, so to speak, and you're just taking it back to a simple principle of just, you know, big monsters destroying cities and having these big rock'em sock'em battles. This is where it's just going to be fun to watch as a fan. And to kind of see how they're going to establish this for a shared universe 
is also a really interesting thing to look at. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing with this film that I think I'm, I'm also most excited for, and I don't know about you, is the setup going to be uh, at the end of the film? Because coming next year, after this is all said and done, we have the heavyweight matchup of the of the century. Yeah, I'm calling it now. Forget forget Canelo Triple G Part whoa, Three. Whoa, 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 whoa. Forget any other boxing match you might have. No, this is gonna be the this is gonna be that matchup of the year, 2020. Uh, it's going to be Godzilla versus King Kong. Yes, and that is already completed filming, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if I read correctly, according to IMDb, it's in post-production, but if I remember correctly, they did kind of the Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings style approach to this where they filmed Godzilla, King of Monsters, and then immediately filmed Godzilla versus King Kong immediately after. And that's smart to do because if this is already established and you can definitely hit the ground running yeah, and build off some momentum of this because, like I said, there's a lot of hype behind this, and it's kind of a mixed reaction from... You know, fans I've seen thus far on Twitter mm -hmm. and, and social media that everybody's kind of going into this going, OK, we don't really know what to expect. But I think your expectation should be this. You're going to go there and you're going to be entertained because at the end of the day, it's giant monsters battling each other. Yeah. I mean, this is where you look at like Pacific Rim, and mm -hmm. you, which I mean, when that first came out, that definitely hit a lot of fans differently. Yeah. This is going to be kind of in the same vein, but when you have Godzilla established, I mean, just and look at the different incarnations of him over the years. Yeah, that you've had. Just I mean, most recently was it Shin Godzilla? Mm -hmm. Shin Godzilla. I know there's uh, three um, animated movies that were are on uh, Netflix. That are supposed to be good. I've got them on my watch list still. Right. You just have different incarnations of just such a classic movie character. And just, I mean, obviously over the years when CGI has developed and you kind of see where it's gone and, you know, where they're at now, I mean, just to watch it mm -hmm. visually is going to be impressive. I'll say CGI has changed very much so from the last Godzilla movie in 2014 to here we are in 2019. I can't wait to see what they can do. Yeah, I'm expecting big things from this just in the sheer thing of being entertained. Yeah. And just visually just impressed. Am I thinking the script is going to be the greatest? No. I'll, it doesn't, I'll it doesn't need to be, though. You're, you're coming for a knockdown, drag out monster movie where cities are going to get destroyed right as long as it makes somewhat sense yeah somewhat i mean because yeah, yeah, yeah. like i said we we also live in the fast and furious universe where we take a simple gang of street thieves that race and now they're an international fighting unit right that is now dealing with superpower villain in hobbs and shaw right and, and we're also suspending some disbelief where you know we're supposed to believe that nuclear tests in the south pacific or whatever the origin story is have spawned off giant monsters right but this is the beauty of Hollywood. And when you have a really good imaginative take on just a simple idea mm -hmm. and see where it goes, look how far you can take it. Yeah. And obviously with Godzilla, the bar is set pretty high. To go in there and just be entertained, that's the goal it should be. And it should just be big monsters destroying things and just a, a setup for wherever they're going to go with Kong. Because that's going to be the big money fight like Pat yeah. has alluded to. That's what you want to see out of this movie. I'm excited for everything I've seen from the trailer. The CGI looks great. The acting, I mean, what else are you really to be expected from a monster movie? Not much. No, just you got to go in there and just be entertained. So if there are more monsters on screen, the better, and that's what you want. Mm -hmm. And as long as the story kind of does a little bit to add to it, I'm down for it. So I'm excited to see it. Godzilla King of the Monsters hits movie theaters this weekend. Hit us up on that hashtag, though, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on Godzilla? If you've already seen it, let us know. If you're not going to go see it or you are going to go see it, tell us why. We're very interested to hear your reaction. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, kick us off with those one-shots. Well, of course, got to talk a little bit about the Avengers Endgame box office update because I'm getting a little nervous here. Uh, it's starting to slow down a little bit, and I was reading some articles last week that it might not get hit the all-time record until much later in the year that they thought. It's, the drop-off is uh, a little more steep than what forecasters predicted. However, it did set a record over the weekend. Okay. Uh, it became the second movie all-time joining Star Wars The Force Awakens to make over 800 million dollars domestically at the box office wow yeah so only star wars the force awakens and uh uh now avengers endgame have made over 800 million dollars 
world uh, domestically at the box office. So I thought that was a very cool little factoid uh, tips to them. Uh, also, I saw Aladdin, of course, the Disney remake of the animated classic over the weekend. Uh, it did very well at the box office. Uh, the studio estimated it would make just over $86 million at the box office. Uh, it finished number one uh, at the box office over the over the four-day weekend. Of course, it was uh, Memorial Day, so it was a long, long weekend. Uh, it finished. It beat estimates by uh, almost $5.5 million, finishing with $91.5 million, uh, beating out John Wick uh, Chapter 3 and Avengers Endgame at the box office. I very much enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I was going to say, you went to go see it. Yeah, I went to go see it. Uh, I very much enjoyed the movie. If you liked the animated movie, you will enjoy this one. Yes, obviously, there have been some, some changes made to this story, but it's nothing drastic in terms of, like, it completely changes the outcome of the movie, you know. Will Smith's genie, you know, it, at first it's a little different to see, but like by the time uh, Prince Ali, the Prince Ali song comes on, you're used to it. He very much makes the role his own while also get kind of bringing in that comedic, you know, off the cuff humor that Robin Williams was used to. There's one point in the movie where, you know, he's he's giving Aladdin his his prince outfit before they go to Agrabah and he finally hits the right costume and he goes, oh, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. I'm awesome. And he goes running around like he's actually on fire. And he hmm. goes, oh, somebody put me out. Somebody put me out. So, so, you know, Will Smith is great. Naomi Scott crushes it as Princess Jasmine. Like, probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest performance of the entire movie. Wow. Like, she just, at, Naomi Scott just absolutely crushes it. Uh, a Whole New World, her performance with A Whole New World gave me goosebumps. It, it was just really a sight to see. It was really awesome. Now, you're the big DC, or Disney fan, mm-hmm. so do you think it's a cool trend they're doing or a bad one that they're doing these live-action remakes of old animated films? I think it's an interesting one, but I think at the I think at the same time they also have to be careful. Like, re- do certain ones, but then I feel like there's also some ones that like, all right, you just shouldn't go near them. Okay. You, you just shouldn't touch them. You know, nothing immediately comes to mind, but like... And, you know, yeah, there have been some kind of ones that haven't been as good, but like for the most part, I haven't come out of one going, that was awful. I want my money back. So I feel like as, as long as you continue to get the right directors and get the right writers and the right cast and the right to go for it, I'm all for it. I uh, got some other other uh, interesting video game news. Of course, E3, the gaming electronic, the electronic entertainment expo is coming up. Of course, that's the big video game conference where gamers worldwide go nuts. It is taking place Tuesday, June 11th uh, through Thursday, June 13th. Uh, coming up very quickly here, uh, we got some interesting news. Of course, we got a trailer, a long trailer. It's like nine minutes or so. You can find it on the PlayStation Facebook page and YouTube and everywhere else. Uh, we got a nine-minute trailer and a release date for Death Stranding. Of course, that's the next title from famed uh, game creator Hideo Kojima, who, of course, made the Metal Gear Solid series. Uh, this one's starring Norman Reedus. Uh, it comes out November 8th of 2019. We also got some more interesting cast news. Uh, you had... Uh, Leia Sidhu is going to be uh, in it. Of course, she was in the Bond girl in the most recent Bond movie, Spectre. Uh, you've got Mads Mikkelsen, of course, who was in, uh, you know, who's in Doctor Strange and he's in Rogue One and he's in James Bond and he played Hannibal in the TV series. Uh, this one caught me by surprise. Guillermo del Toro is going to be in it. Really? Yes. Guillermo del Toro will be in it uh, voicing a character called Dead Man. Not too sure what that's about, but, you know, he's you can see a quick glimpse of him in the trailer and, it's, and they go, you know, Guillermo del Toro, dead man. I'm like, oh, wait, really? OK, uh, then you also have uh, Norman Reedus, as as we know, he's been featured in this in all these trailers, and, you know, that have been coming out about the game. Uh, and then you have veteran voice actor Troy Baker playing in it. Uh, he, if, if you want to see some of the games he's been in, you may not know the name, but you'll know the voice if you go through his IMDb list and look at some of the games. He's voiced one of the most well-known uh, voice actors in, in the game today. Uh, very interested to see what this game's about. This is like the third or fourth trailer. I still have no idea what's going on because there's one point in the trailer where uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen character looks like he's in World War One Europe. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so it's just, I still have no idea what's going on, but it's, it's about, you know, Hideo Kojima wrote a letter about the trailer and you're supposed to read before you know before you see the trailer but if you don't you're fine he you know i guess the game's supposed to be about kind of enforcing that humans need to make connections and it's all about connections and between people so that'll be something very interesting to see 
Uh, got up some more video game news, which I know you'll be excited for. Break it down. The off-rumored, never-confirmed, you know, uh, Avengers video game being made by Square Enix. Yes, that Square Enix who's made the Final Fantasy video games over the years. Kingdom Hearts, you know, Tomb Raider, Just Cause, just to name a few. Uh, they are finally going to be revealing what it is in the world they've been working on for so long with their Avengers game at E3. Uh, in a couple of weeks so okay we'll finally find out what the heck this thing is and what they've been doing i'm very interested to see it i am been waiting to hear about this yeah. for years now yeah. it, it just it feels like it was never going to happen yeah so obviously the pressure is on them to deliver because mm -hmm. this does not knock it out of the park yeah i don't want to deal with the backlash that they were going to be dealing with yeah because when you're talking about the Avengers, and especially with the quality they've brought, I mean, like Pat touched upon, Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts, this has a lot riding on it. So what they're going to do with this, I mean, personally, I was hoping they were going to do Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Right. But I know that's not going to happen, and I'm okay with it. And it's not Injustice 2 or Injustice 3. I'm okay with that, too. But whatever they're going to do with this Avengers, mm -hmm. they got a nail. And yeah. I mean, would you say, I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you think they tried doing like an MCU, like from point A to point B? Uh, I'm not sure. Given the success of the Spider-Man PS4 video game, I think it might be something that ties into the game verse, I guess is what they're calling it at Marvel Comics now. Okay. Um, because in, if you haven't played the Spider-Man PS4 video game, the Avengers are in it. They're not mentioned. You don't see them. But Avengers Tower is there. Like you hear, you see them mentioned and, and that kind of thing. So they're already established as, hey, they're already here. They're already a thing. So I think it might be something just kind of furthering into that uh, game uh, verse because as good as Insomniac Studios did on that, they can't do all these video games. You got you got to bring in other studios to right. put them out. You got to kind of mess around and, mm -hmm. and just let everybody else kind of you know get their stamp of approval yeah. on there, so to speak. Yep. I'm super excited to hear about this though. Yeah. I mean, to finally see it happen. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely need to believe it when I see it. Yeah. So I'll be obviously checking out for the E3 coverage. I know you'll be all over that on Twitter. Oh, yeah. And we'll definitely be having ODPH E3 again mm -hmm. when that comes about, too. So super, super excited to check about that. So for my one shots, I did mention briefly during Cloak & Dagger, but Happy is having their season finale on Sci-Fi as we were recording on Wednesday night. Uh, trying to put into words what Happy has been doing this season, I can't do. It's been just let's get weird times a thousand, but it's been working. It's been sit there, watch, and don't try to figure it out in your head. No, nah, Christopher Maloney is just, <laughs> I mean, he's stepped the game up to Patton Oswalt too. Just everybody on that show has just taken that simple concept that they did from the Grant Morrison material, and now they're just running with it into a completely odd, weird direction, and it works, and it does a lot of things, and it's great. But like I say, it's an acquired taste that you just have to kind of sit there and go, okay, I get it. But it's definitely worth a watch, so we definitely support that. And this Friday, Swamp Thing debuts on the DC Universe. Okay. So Doom Patrol wrapped up last week, uh, which was phenomenal. I could go on and on and on about it. Maybe I'll just have to do a blog. I don't know. We'll see. Doom Patrol closed out so strong. Swamp Thing is looking amazing, though. If you really want a horror comic book show, this is looking like it's going to deliver. It's coming out every Friday starting the 31st of May. Definitely intrigued by it. The latest trailer looked amazing. So I know there was a little speculation. Oh, no, it's only going to be 10 episodes. Obviously, if it looks like it does on the trailer and the story is strong, I don't care. You, you can make it five episodes for all I care. But the thing that is going to have to really drive the show is viewers streaming this, talking about it. So if you are all behind this, like I say, I tweet about Doom Patrol at least once a week, if not once a day. You got to get behind this show if you really want to see it come back. And definitely send that message to the DC Universe upper mm -hmm. echelon to let them know that you want to see obscure characters that are not Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman in their own shows I'll and say, see where they go. Yeah, because, yes, this is a streaming platform, so it's obviously a little different than conventional TV. So you might think to yourself, ah, oh, the viewers don't really matter. It's on a streaming platform. They don't go out and worry about viewers. It's there for people to watch. No. The viewers matter. We've seen it with other platforms and other very popular shows on other platforms that, you know, get canceled for one reason or another that, but it ends up being, oh, listen, we know people like it, but the viewers aren't there. Right. Not everything needs to be a big legendary superhero. This is how you build up audiences because Deadpool did not start out this way. No. And now Deadpool is one of the biggest faces at Marvel mm -hmm. without question. Yeah. 
You can't even argue that point. So to see something like this happen for the DC Universe shows, I think is a great thing. They've been putting on so much quality shows. Titans was better than the first trailer. We've said this on the show before. Doom Patrol is flat out amazing. If you want to talk about Let's Get Weird, they do it, but they do it with the just the feel of the DC Vertigo universe, and it works so well. I'm expecting big things from Swamp Thing, so definitely check it out as it debuts May 31st. Let's get into some comics, though, to close out. Okay. Because there was some big news that dropped since last episode that Bright Guy Signal had something to say about. I definitely had something to say about. Tom King, the man, the myth, the legend, who has been absolutely crushing it on Batman, who is scheduled to write like a 100-episode or issue saga, shall shall I say, was announcing that he was leaving the book after issue 85. Okay. Which definitely threw me for a loop because I'm like, no. He's really taken the man and put him into Batman. He's dealing with a lot more real-world issues that we haven't really seen. Because like I say, my favorite version of Batman has been Snyder and Capullo's because they put the fear in him, and you kind of see how he overcomes the fear. This one has been taking it from more of a human aspect and really kind of seeing how he handles this situation of just dealing with everyday life on top of his own crazy world of you know being Batman. But it was finally announced a day later that he is going to be now taking over a Batman Catwoman series that's oh, okay. going to be featuring Heroes in Crisis artist Clay Mann that is going to basically finish out his run. Now, this is going to tie in Continuum, so it's not going to be like an alternate universe. It's not going to be anything like that. It's slated to debut, I believe I read, January of 2020. Okay. So it's going to be 12 issues, and then it's going to finish out his story. I am super excited for this because the story has been amazing. I know that there's been a lot of, you know, I don't want to say controversy, but I guess there has been about the whole Batwoman or Batman Catwoman wedding not happening, X, Y, and Z. Let the story go and let him breathe. Because, you know what, Tom King has written this masterpiece, and to see how it's going to finish after 100 issues, you don't have that in comics today. It's no. al- it's almost unheard of. So to see it happen, and the fact that DC is letting him finish, I'm all for. I have no idea who's going to take over Batman. My guess, my unofficial ODPH guess, is going to be Brian Michael Bendis. Okay. I'm already going to throw it out there. I don't know anything official. As soon as I find it, you know we'll be posting on Twitter about it. And not to mention, since we've been talking about Tom King and Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, this week at your local comic book shops, DC has one of the strongest lineups dropping. Pat, are you ready? Sure, hit me with it. Okay, so we have Leviathan Rising, which is the new Superman uh, storyline that's going on by Brian Michael Bendis, which if you saw the Supergirl ending, Mm -hmm. the season finale, they have tied this in. Yep. So this is going to be a whole game-changing event for the Superman universe. If you, and like I said, if you saw the Supergirl season finale, this is going to kind of prelude where they're going. Well, say so Superman don't do nothing small. No. So I expect big things from this, and you know if Bendis is attached to it, look out. This is going to have some huge, huge impact on the Man of Steel universe. Then we talk about Tom King and Clay Man. Heroes in Crisis 9, they end that epic saga which has definitely been one of the most interesting reads in all of comics over the past year. To see how this is all resolved is going to be something to read. Definitely get down and pick it up at your local comic shop. You also have Doomsday Clock 10. Jeff Johns, Gary Frank doing Watchmen versus the DCU. Say it's after getting delayed a couple times, finally coming out. Right, so the fact that we're at now issue number 10, you know it's going to be wrapping up sometime this year, we think, but Hopefully. the that series has been spot on. And to say about doing Watchmen right and doing justice to the characters that Alan Moore created, Jeff Johns has taken his time. He's done a great job with it. Really interested to see how it goes. It's kind of interesting. They're tying in same day that Heroes in Crisis ends. And then last but not least, Batman Last Night on Earth, Snyder Capullo's swan song to Batman is out. Issue number one. Do you really want me to start amping up about this? Sure. Okay. You know my love affair about that their run. They've put the fear into Batman, which hadn't happened for a while. Scott Snyder has written the best Batman, and Greg Capullo's artwork has been nothing short of just amazing to match it. Their epic storylines from the Court of Owls to Death of the Family 
to end game to even trying to take a stab at year one and doing zero year. Mm-hmm. It has been nothing short of just an epic run. That was one of the bright spots of the new 52. Because when you did all the resets, you knew, yeah. you weren't sure what's happening. So to see how they do it here has been just truly phenomenal. And then obviously they dipped into it with a little of DC metal, which is its own wild, trippy ride that I can't even get into. It was just, you know, as much of a crazy over the top hero saga that you would expect. That I mean, how do, I don't even know how you get into describing it. It's just has been so spot on and so amazing and just everything with it, just to see where it's kind of stepped into now. And now we're wrapping up with the future, you know, the last night on earth. I don't even know what to expect. Just, just sheer brilliance and just a lot of just amazingness. I can just seriously go on and on and on about just the, the accolades I can give Snyder Capullo because they write arguably the best Batman and write and draw them. Just get down to your local comic shop, check it out. There's more books out there too. It's definitely worth going down there. You know, obviously there's so much down there right now, but just DC alone. Now we haven't even talked about any of the other comic companies down there. So definitely hit up your local shops and check that out. And to end with Robocon's early bird special is ending this week too. Robocon.org for badge information. Definitely check it out. We're going to be down there. So why don't you join us in September? That's all we got for this week. So for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Kenham. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time.